0: What I think is good is that there is now really strong attempts and groups to learn other people's cultures, for Korean-Americans to learn African-American culture, for African-Americans to learn the Korean-American culture. Welcome to The Race to Social Justice, a podcast that explores the myriad racial and social challenges facing the modern world, with your hosts, Kiva White and John Kepner. Thank you for being part of the Courageous Conversation. Because when it comes to combating social injustices in America, it is not about being confrontational; it is about being conversational.
1: All right. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of the Race to Social Justice podcast. I'm Kiva White, and as you can see, I'm the black guy.
2: And I'm John and I'm the white guy. We're continuing tonight with uh, our f- former guest, Jimmy Chong, and we're going. This is going to be a coda to our former recording with Jimmy uh, because we just didn't have enough time, and we have some. Significant issues that we'd like to cover that we didn't that we didn't in the last podcast. It's a difficult subject uh, because it's all about violence against uh, a part of America of, of fellow Americans uh, and and the fear that they live with. And um, to set the stage, I'm going to just reference an article in a, a guest essay uh, in the New York Times by Min Jin Lee. Uh, who is a writer in residence at amherst college uh and she came the title of it is asian americans have always lived with fear Mm. and she came to this country in 1977 a year after her parents and two sisters arrived in new york from seoul korea and uh they lived uh in manhattan's they set up a a wholesale jewelry business in manhattan's korea town and in three columns of her essay, she goes through the litany of violence uh, against her parents and their business, uh, including um, some robberies and so forth that completely wiped out the entire business. They had to start all over. And then um, well-educated Yale, uh, she became a lawyer, uh, but she then chronicles her own the violence against her own personal self um, uh, as she was growing up, uh, including sexual violence. uh, And and she traces it to to her uh, Korean uh, American uh, experience and she concludes by saying this. uh, Ever since Asians began arriving in the United States, they've been met with hostility and rejection, often sanctioned by state and federal legislation. The sad part is that so little has changed. Back in the 70s and 80s, the West feared the growth of Japan. As China became a superpower, xenophobia rose too. Since 9-11, Islamophobia and attacks against sheikhs and Hindus have been unrelenting. Now the pandemic and demagoguery have brought more waves of hatred. Do I reasonably expect another person or a government body to keep me safe in some perfect way, I can't say that I do. A person like me often finds workarounds, but you and I know a workaround is not a real solution and a temporary fix is never available to everyone who needs it. Asians and Asian Americans pay the price of nativist fear. As income equality grows and social services are cut, the vulnerable among us are left untreated and unhoused. Meanwhile, the number of attacks in the United States against Asians and Asian Americans grows. So that's a powerful, powerful statement based upon you know real life experience. And so, um, uh, Jimmy, uh, after our last podcast, you wrote a, a I thought a very sensitive, and insightful um, email to uh, Kiva and me that I'd like to read to set the stage and then um, take the discussion from there. Uh, I don't think the Asian American experience is unique in that light. That is in in, uh, referring to uh, dealing with discrimination. However, I do think mainstream America is seeing that this hate exists, which is unique. In other words, for the most part, Americans think there has been and is little to no discrimination against Asian Americans and that we are mostly successful and wealthy, which is far from the truth. We have been suffering from real hate and violence, but Americans have denied that it has existed in American history. For that reason, I believe Asian Americans are very vocal about the extension of AAPI uh, hate since we immigrated here. And it is only now that mainstream America accepts the truth. The caveat that I have is that I don't want non-Asians to think Asian Americans don't understand other races have experienced the same and or worse experiences. Our frustration is that mainstream America and other minority groups in America have never understood this, haste, this hate exists. existed. Now that there is an acceptance that this hate exists, we are letting it all out. And I think it's being misinterpreted as insensitivity to others. There's a lot built into that. And maybe we should start by you want to elaborate that or go deeper on that, Jimmy?
0: Well, I, I think that um, when I was writing that, did, there had been just a lot of buildup um, throughout, you know, since COVID and, um, you know, with, uh, you know, a lot of um, things that had been happening since COVID with the riots, with, um, you know, the, the deaths, um, you know, by police, there. Have been a lot of um, comments that Asian Americans um, don't, uh, I guess, aren't always supportive of other um, minority groups, or that Asian Americans don't really, have never really been discriminated against, and that, uh, you know, there's been meetings, so I'm very involved in the uh, the DEI world, And there have been meetings where um, I've been told that we should not promote, we as a community should not say stop AAPI hate. It should be stop all hate and that Asians are getting, uh, I guess, a benefit or a pass or they're being um, given a luxury, something that felt like something that it's not deserved because Asian Americans don't understand what it's like to... Had to, to be discriminated against, and that that's really what was had has been told to my face. Um, that we are the model minority. That we don't, uh, we have not been through our times. And I say we generally, and that's where actually where I want to start because Americans will look at Asian Americans as similar: Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Cambodian and they're they're East Asian, there's, you know, Indians, there's um, Filipino, we are nothing like culturally, language, uh, the way we go about um, religions, it's not similar, however, here in America, we're bunched as one, so that is, I guess, the first uh, kind of, um, that's one of the first things I would do want to express to mainstream America, because a lot of times, that there's there's no you cannot distinguish between the Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Filipino. We're grouped as one, and then we're grouped as the model minority, where they believe that we're successful. We have not been through hard times, and when you look at the basic economics of it, the poorest in this country. There's many Asian American communities that are economically the poorest. Now there are many that are on the wealthy side of things but the way that it's looked at is that asian americans are always successful and that there's been no struggle that um that there's always been you know we've always had we put our heads down work hard and, and we're successful and uh there's comments that the government had give had given asian americans money to be successful that we've been given advantages over other uh, communities to be successful. There have been accusations of that that has been told to, to me and, you know, saying, well, we're, you know, and um, it's just, it's very frustrating because it, it's the furthest thing from the truth. So I was born and raised here. Um, you know, I, my English is my native language. My Korean is very poor. However, growing up, there's a lot of comments that People are shocked, they tell me I speak English. You know, I speak English good, it's so funny. They tell me, Oh, Jimmy, you speak English really good. And I'm like, Well, I do speak it well, but I, you know, it's my native language. Um, I've had comments where you know, I someone's come to me and said, Wow, you're you're a, a good looking Chinese guy, and you know, it's a, a compliment, but it's kind of a backhanded um compliment saying, No. Chinese guys aren't good looking, or Asian guys aren't good looking. So um, there are certain things that um, I don't think mainstream America sees. Uh, growing up in Delaware, I was one of the very few Asians. Uh, so I got in fights daily. I actually at school I would I would have to defend myself because I was the only Asian yeah. out there, and it got to a point where I would come home every day beat up, and I actually was pulled out of school because it happened so much that my parents feared for my safety. Mm -hmm. So um, there's just these things that I don't think mainstream America really sees or understands. And that's why this frustration builds within Asian Americans. And that's why now we're exploding and being very vocal. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. really where it was really rooted. And that email, I I just really had to express it in that way. Sure. But we're, we're seeing
2: more reports than ever of violence against Asian Americans. That, that is different, I think. Um, and I wanna to get to the Rodney King thing in a minute because I, I, I was not really aware of the violence that resulted uh, from that uh, at all.
1: I think it's more than, you know, it's the stereotypes, the generalization. When you talk about uh, Jimmy Klumpen, all Asians into one bucket. And I really I think with over the past several years or so, four years or so, it's those social narratives that kept being repeated over and over and over that tends to that really shed a negative light on the image of Asian Americans in this country in the wake of the pandemic. A lot of negative derogatory things were being said about people in high positions in this country regarding how the pandemic started, where it came from. Um, I remember in Philadelphia, um, and you probably remember this Jimmy where Chinatown was empty. Nobody wanted to even you know purchase you know go there to purchase food because of the rhetoric and the narratives that were being um, you know bellowed out from um, our nation's capital. So I think all of those things you're, you're 100% right that the generalization and the stereotypes that exist, really leads to um, unwarranted violent, violence by Asian Americans in this country because of the image that was created. Again, these are all, when we talk about racism being a social construct, I truly, I truly believe that. That is how um, people in society construct these images based on repeated words, repeated images. If you look at you know the media today, you know, every time you see a breaking news, you know, I cringe when I see that because they, you know, they keep showing repeat, repeat the same clip over and over and over again. And it has a real psychological impact on society if we don't, you know, um, really understand how these type of things work. We talked about John uh, Barbara Love's article all the time, Deliberatory Liberated Consciousness. And one of the things that she talks about is how we all have been socialized in society to play certain roles based upon what's been um, what's been taught how we've been educated or the lack thereof so john to hear you say um, you would you didn't um, know about the rodney king and the violence that persisted in that that to me that's a win because now this is the opportunity it's a teachable moment for you know for you to get to understand i grew up in that era i watched it on the news over and over and over and over again and i understand the violence that took place not only against African Americans in their own community, but also against Asian Americans that lived in that community. So, so I'm glad we're having this discussion. Yeah, so Thirty Jimmy, years, 30 years ago.
2: Yeah. So Jimmy, tell, tell the story. Let's set the table on what we're talking about. Some people may not know about Rodney King or well, have seen it and, and what that led to in terms of attacks on the Asian community.
0: Sure, it really and and forgive me because I may not have all the timing right. Mm-hmm. Just uh, it, it's kind of a blur, but first it really started back um really during in the 80s and the 90s, where um late you know the 80s, early 90s, Koreans and I'm talking about LA, and it really can happen in Philadelphia and any major city where a lot of Korean Americans they started immigrating to America in the mid to late i mean i'm sorry early 70s late you know really early 70s and they come over they start establishing themselves and then they uh really a huge rush comes over in the 80s and they start opening stores within the city so in urban areas korean americans would open stores and in the urban areas would be mostly african americans who would be um you know would be the uh customers would be the patrons of the stores so then they would see the 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 korean americans start being successful start um you know by you know driving nice cars uh taking the money they've earned leaving the city moving to the suburbs and then coming in and this there started being a dissension between the patrons and the store owners where they believe the store owners were Um, taking the money from the city and taking it out of the city, not contributing back. Now, I believe that's where cultural issues started happening, because Koreans, their uh, culture, they put their head down. They will work and they will work 12, 16 hour days and they will, you know, they they will start making some wealth and some money, but they're saving. They're not spending. They're not. There's no vacations. They're not buying nice clothes. They're just saving, saving, and saving to where then they can buy a home or then buy that nice car, but they're not spending money on anything else. When it comes down to it, their hourly wage is very minimal, but they're working as family units. Mother, you know, father, all the kids would go to the store, they would work seven days a week. And that's, I think, part of the things that people did not see. They just all, saw, saw, all, saw, all of a sudden saw wealth coming into these Korean-American families. So that kind of sets the stage where the dissension started um, happening. Well, while this is going on, some in the urban areas, these Korean store owners, uh, they were being robbed daily. So they would steal, someone would steal, you know, a box juice here, maybe steal uh, CD there or, or steal something from the store. And it happens over and over again. And in, in 1991, there was a young schoolgirl, age 15, her name's Latasha Harlins. She walks into a store in Los Angeles and she goes in, she grabs a, a juice bottle and she gets into an argument with the Korean store owner. And they get to the point where the 16 year old girl, she wa- turned around, she walks away. And the Korean store owner pulls out a gun, shoots her in the head and kills her. This is caught on video, on security film. So, you know, this, is, this should have never happened. This young girl should never have been killed. And then when the Korean store owner goes to court, they actually, she doesn't spend a day in jail. She Her uh, prison time is suspended. And then that really creates such tension between the, so there's been a boiling over tension between the African-Americans and the Korean-Americans uh, because there's, there's been tension of store owners and patrons taking place for about a decade. This killing takes place. And then, of course, as an African-American, you're going to think, hey, these Asian-Americans get away with everything. They even get away with murder on videotape. They don't go to jail. And so this tension happens. Then, you know, it's in the air. It's palatable. Then the Ronnie King happens. So Ronnie King, everyone knows, you know, he's driving. He's in L.A. He gets pulled over. And on videotape, you see, I forget how many, 10, 11 cops, Beat him when he's down on the ground. They kick him. They hit him for no reason whatsoever. Um, and then these ki- the then the cops are found not guilty. So again, the African American community. There's someone that's murdered. And then a year later, Rodney King on videotape gets beaten by twelve officers, and no one pays for it, right? So then that's when the L.A. riots break out. And in L.A., there's a section called Koreatown. And there's where all the Korean shop owners are. And that was one of the most looted areas in L.A. Because the African-Americans in that community felt that they had to go, they had every right to go into, uh, into Koreatown and steal, destroy, burn, and um, You know, and I see here four uh, Los Angeles police officers were found not guilty of just heinous crimes. So that's really led to and then the L.A. riots broke out and there was it was really a big rate. And it was it was scary. So I'm over here in Wilmington, Delaware, where I was uh, brought up. And my parents would even tell me, look, you know, you don't know what's going on. Be aware of your surroundings. We're different. You know, people (laughs) won't like us just the way just because how we look. So make sure, you know, you know, keep your head on a swivel. That's what my parents would tell me when I was, I think, maybe 14 years old at that time. And that was where all Korean parents were telling their kids because we were afraid that mm-hmm. something would happen to us. And wow. um, it's, you know, it's a, it was, I, I can see from both points of view why people were upset. I can understand the African-American point of view. Now, The store owner, that is something that actually took me a hard time to really empathize or try to understand what she was going through. Because what she did, she murdered a little girl for no reason. should never have happened. But when you think about it, she comes over to this country with absolutely nothing. She works seven days a week. And it's anything like my parents, seven days a week, 12 hours a day, no vacations, no days off. You know, maybe take Christmas Day off. That's it. You know, you work every day. And she was leading up to that day. Her store was robbed so many times that um, it was just it was known to go there. They were robbed at, at gunpoint. She had guns. Her family had guns pointed at her. She was actually working that day because her son was going to testify against someone uh, for robbing the store at gunpoint. And his life was being threatened that he couldn't go to work that day. So she actually had to go to work that day for him. So their store, it, it's kind of like the um, the battered syndrome, uh, battered wife syndrome, where the wife is getting beaten every day, every day, and then she finally snaps and kills, uh, you know, the perpetrator, who's the husband or boyfriend who's beating mm-hmm. her. It's the same situation where every day they're being robbed, attacked, verbally abused, physically intimidated, and then it snapped. So then really it was just, there's no condoning what she did. But when I sit and I think about what her state of mind is at that time, I can see where she snapped. Although it's it wasn't right. I just want people to understand that's why she snapped.
1: Yeah. I- like I always go back to the psychological trauma of these events. And, and I, I agree with you. I think displaced anger is a real thing. You know, it's to, it's to, she just got to a boiling point. Again, not justifying or rationalizing. However, there is, a, there is an understanding because if you're constantly uh, being victimized with no justice, and we see that even in the African-American community, that's what happened. With the Ronnie King riots. Think about it. A young girl gets killed and nothing happens. The system of society, the justice system, again fails the African American community. By she got no time. She didn't spend one day in jail, right? And then you have African Americans who are being caught with, you know, a couple of not again, not justifying or rationalizing with marijuana, you know, a couple of joints, and they get locked up and sentenced for. Who knows how, how long, right? And so, for the African American community, there is a there is I think there's a boiling point of tension too, and that happened when these four officers were acquitted of using uh, and and they were they were charged with um, bodily harm with a deadly weapon, but they were all acquitted. So there this, this was just an explosion that happened over the course of those five days in in um, Los Angeles. Um, that was just unfortunate, and I have to agree with you, Jimmy. That in, we there comes a point in time where, you know, enough is enough, and I think that's that's my concern about what's happening in modern day society in 2022 with all these the mass shootings of of unarmed individuals, and not just people of color that are dying as a result of these senseless and what I call cowardly acts. I just feel that at some point. Members of society is just gonna have enough. And marching is great, but I don't think marching at this point is getting enough results. We have to talk about some action. What What, what is gonna be so many actions? And John, we, we really um, spoke about that earlier today uh, in our discussion um, about empathy. And I, I wanted just to just know if you, see if you had any thoughts about, about that,
0: about the action, the action part. So for me personally, it's, I agree. I think marching is not the action that needs to be taken. I mean, that's maybe some of it. The action that I believe that needs to be taken there, people need to go out and vote. We had, how many in this country, we had this amazing ability to cast the vote to who leads our country. And if we hit a 50% mark, Of people who vote that have a right to vote we think that's a an amazing mark to hit that should we should be having 70 80 90 percent of people who can vote to go and vote that's what we have to do we have to educate ourselves and vote our um you know vote our leaders in and this is a great country where it's a democracy you know we can have we can have the who have the majority of the country wants someone to come in and run our country, that's who comes in. If it's Democrat, Republican, Independent, it doesn't matter. But we have to exercise our right to vote, and we don't take that seriously. We have to educate our, our parents, our cousins, our children. We have to go out and vote. If we don't vote, I think we're doing a disservice to our family, our friends, to ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that's that that's the action. I, I agree with that. That's
1: the action. Um, I also think just educating, educating yourself on other other cultures. I mean, I live and breathe this work. And so for me, I like to learn about different um different cultures and different ethnic experiences because what I tend to find when I do that is that the only thing that's different <laughs> is in the region that we live that we grew up in or the color of our skin. But we all have have had some type of traumatic experiences, trials and triumphs, sacrifices in life. And we also have had some successes. And so where we have come up in society, so the more I think that we we learn about each other and each other's struggles and each other's successes, there won't be this fear and this threat and this this, worrying about, you know, I just think we just need to, um, and, and no pun intended, like Rodney King said, can't we all just get along? I mean, in society, that's, you know, that was his, that was his uh, word when he was interviewed.
2: John, you started to say something? Did did anything positive come out of this? uh, Just a firestorm of intersecting terrible things. The story is a terrible story. I mean, it's just all sorts of things were bad, happened the wrong way. Uh, But anything good come of it in Los Angeles?
0: I mean, there, what I think is good is that there is now really strong attempts and groups to learn other people's cultures for Korean Americans to learn African American culture, for African Americans to learn the Korean American culture. I think that, I know that I, I have some friends out there that have run organizations out there that really promote the bringing of these, you know, different um, communities together and you know that is the silver lining that is the positive but there there isn't enough obviously there hasn't been enough and that's that's an issue here in our area as well and one of the things that I really wanted to do was my belief is and again it goes back to the Rodney King why you know why can't we all just get along when you first heard that you thought it was kind of Cheesy, but it's so true. Goes to the heart of it, and so I grew up. By, I grew up playing sports, and when you're playing sports, and when you're on that, I grew up playing soccer on that soccer field. Your teammates. It doesn't matter what color they are. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. where they're from. Economic, social background. All that matters. Is you guys had one goal that you're trying to do, and you're trying to win. You guys, you know, you would out there. You work. You. Sweat, bled, you went through trials, triumphs, everything together and brings you together. And that was the, they're, they're, that's the, our band of brothers. So the best man in my wedding, I never went to school with. We grew up playing soccer together our whole life. And that we grew up at an age, you know, we were six, seven years old where we weren't exposed to these world um, stereotypes and we didn't start having these, um, you know, unfortunate stereotypes built into us. So my goal was really, I want to start a, and I start with soccer could be basketball or any league where we bring in people from different communities and hopefully it's funded so we can bring lower income communities from all different races on a team and they can go and they can become, create this friendship, this bond at a young age. So when they get older, we're going to know each other. we can shake hands. It, it, you know, we develop the bond before these stereotypes are developed. Then their parents will be developing bonds as well because the kids are developing the bonds and they'll be you know they'll go to games together, they'll go to tournaments together, spend the night together. And that's really one of the one of the in my mind, one of the things I want to do before, um, I leave this earth is to create a program to do that that's really one of the goals I've been thinking for the past two or three years
2: um, yeah that's
1: that's number that, I wanted to respond John when you said what has happened since then this has any positive things happened? and I think this resonates with uh, Jimmy's uh, call to action to vote because a year later one of the things that happened in the aftermath of the riots is that there was a there was an item on the ballot in Los, Los Angeles and they the voters approved to limit to, to uh, limit to term limits because in Los Angeles the police chief had a lifetime term limit wow. so he could be voted and yeah. keep voted and voted mm-hmm. in and so mm-hmm. they they uh, voted that to adjust it to two five-year terms so the maximum that that person could serve was 10 years at, as police police chief and they voted in the same year, They voted that this police chief is ousted because there was no Mm -hmm. there was Mm -hmm. no uh, reprimand of the officers. And then uh, he was replaced by um, the the former police chief uh, for Philadelphia, uh, Willie Williams, who was the first African-American police chief for the city of Los Angeles. So I think the power of the vote, like Jimmy said, is very important. Mm -hmm. Even on the local level, they was able to make some type of uh, some form of police reform through the power of the vote to get this guy, you know, um, the, the former police chief um, out of office.
2: Yeah. Daryl um,
1: Gates was his name
0: at the time.
2: Yeah. I had a couple of other thoughts. Um, I think you're right about sports by the way, Jimmy. Um, the, um, it's, it's gonna be a long time, but eventually there has to be election reform. You know, the chaos theory will apply. We'll continue to have chaos, and but the chaos theory is that eventually chaos gets resolved. We all have to hope that it gets resolved by, you know, high-minded election reform, because a lot of, a lot of, uh, good-minded people want positive change in these kinds of issues, and even though as a nation we may have the votes, you know, our our system is stacked against that. Um, so so that's one thing. But the, the other thought I had was that, um, you know, we're, we've experienced it in our family, and I bet there are a lot of other predominantly white families who now have uh, people of color, of all different colors, who are, are members of their family. Uh, in some cases, and for, I have friends the same way, in some cases, it's um, adoptive children, in some cases it's it's interracial marriage and so forth. And, and so when that happens, um, if you, you, you have an opportunity in your family to get to know the person deeper than, uh, than otherwise. And when you get to know a person they, you begin to see them as a person. You don't begin to see them as a black person or an Asian person. You begin to see them as people with common interest in family, so you have a you have a common basis to appreciate um, other cultures and other reasons just within your own family, and that I think is happening all across the country. Uh, and and um, over time, that's going to have a major impact. I think yep. uh, it'll it'll happen naturally, and unfortunately, it'll take time. But I, I've already i I've, I've already seen evidence of it. You know my own personal experience, so that gives me some hope. And the other thought I had was, you know, going to back what you said earlier about you know the emphasis on the narrative and changing the narrative. Um, a a um, a uh, strategic, organized, uh, collaborative approach of different organizations to change the narrative to the positive narrative. To counter the continual beating of the negative, ma- you know, narrative. Um, I wonder whether that's that's. I don't see that being that organized. It's organized by issue, maybe, but not by not across issues. Maybe I hadn't. I hadn't really thought about. It, but that just came to mind as we were talking about that. So, well, this is a good. This is a good, uh, maybe place to conclude since we've already recorded, uh, an earlier version, but, uh, Jimmy, uh, any other key, any other thoughts, either of you have on this subject, this has really been good today.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I just think as a follow-up discussion, you know, we just have to keep our pulse on again, the political arena, educating about voting. Um, you mentioned the chaos theory, John, I think, you know, um, when chaos is created, sometimes chaos is created for control. <laughs> and in yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, and the Rodney King and in the, the death of, uh, the shooting of Latasha Hollings, in my opinion, the judge created more chaos than necessary when she it was a female judge allowed no consequences to be uh, um, handed down for what was clearly a, a mur- murder. And so I think The system is designed to create chaos so that control can continue to be bestowed on certain members of society. So I I think until we correct that aspect of it, it's gonna, I'm hopeful, I'll stay hopeful, but I'm also uh, reminded of the systems and the powers that are in place, and that has been in place for a very long time in this country. And until we dismantle some of that, we're gonna we're gonna have a, you know an a uphill battle, but I'm I'm confident. I get more I get very hopeful when I see my daughters interplay with their kids, mm-hmm. with them, with their friends. They just had their birthday party, and it, and I sh- yeah, it was just amazing to see all the different kids: Asian kids, white kids, black kids, Spanish kids. And and I saw I saw the future of our society in the little ones, and I'm hoping we could you know hopefully somehow we could package just the um just the innocence of the way they engage with each other and make some type of pill to give to some of us adult, <laughs> to adults. Give some
2: adults yeah right.
1: <laughs> yes I think we would we would get some. we would we would be one of the top top pharmaceutical companies in the world oh, you would yeah
2: you could make a lot of money if you came
1: up yes with that. right yeah. yeah so that that would be my uh end commentary uh <laughs> yeah. for today's okay. discussion yeah. how about yeah. you Jimmy? Uh,
0: you know then this may be for another discussion but I Keep exactly what you said. I, I agree because there's that narrative that somehow it ha- gets brought about in society that the chaos also is control. Where I believe that the model minority um, label on Asian Americans was created to pit one community against Asian Americans, saying, mm-hmm. Why can't you be like these Asian Americans? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's yeah, part of
2: the overall. Uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: An agreement, an agreement. In agreement, Jimmy. Okay. But the, the one thing though is America in my mind is the best country in the world. And it is because of our diversity. Our diversity is a strength. Right.
2: It's our best asset. Yep.
0: We we That's have right. to stop people will say diversity, the reason why there's so much uh I guess violence or tension in America, it's because of there's so so many different races and community communities I disagree I think that's our strength and that's a benefit and we have to make that continue to look at that as a positive never put that in the in negative light I agree okay awesome yeah. well this Good is great thanks very forward.
2: much for joining us again Jimmy mm-hmm.
0: thank yeah. you for having me it's great talking to you gentlemen yeah, um, yeah. it's it's always great to thank you so much for what you guys do and really bringing these discussions to light Good. awesome
1: Thank you all for uh, attending and uh, and listening in and viewing into another episode of the Race to Social Justice. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to our channel. We would love to hear your comments about each and every episode, and we'll see you on the next uh, next run, the next lap that we'll take on the Race to Social Justice. Thank you for listening, and thank you for watching. The Race to Social Justice podcast is produced, edited, and mixed at The Dream in Austin, Texas. Visit thedreamrecordingstudio.com for more info.